Romans chapter 6, starting to read at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his, in his resurrection. If we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, we count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's begin, as always, with prayer. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit to help us understand what he caused to be written. And we pray, Father, that you'd speak to each of us tonight through your word, that we might understand it, and that we might be willing to change our lives in accordance with what you say to us. We ask it for the glory of your name. Amen. I don't know whether you know very much about uh, Rasputin. Perhaps you know the Boney M song about Rasputin, and that's all that you know. I'm not going to try and sing it to you. It's a rather cool song, I think. Um, But Rasputin, if you remember, was a Russian monk. And in the early 1900s, he was very influential in the Russian court at uh, St. Petersburg. And uh, you may remember that uh, Tsar Nicholas and uh, Alexandria were uh, fond of him, particularly because he seemed to have miraculous powers for healing the haemophiliac son, Alexis. And in particular, when Nicholas was off, uh, when the First World War broke out, uh, engaged with the Russian uh, army, uh, Rasputin became very influential in the Russian court. And, uh, of course, he was rumored to be uh, very immoral and uh, very corrupt, and uh, he had divided public opinion and... um, In December 1916, he was eventually poisoned, uh, but that didn't kill him off, and so they shot him and dumped him in a local canal. Farewell, Rasputin. Now, of course, you may be wondering at this point, what's Rasputin got to to do with Romans 6? Well, everything, because apparently Rasputin's theology went like this. Uh, Since um, God's grace is sufficient to deal with all our sin... Let's sin as much as we like, because God's grace will cover the lot. So, let's go and sin a lot. And he did, by all accounts. 
Now, there's some reason for coming to that rather twisted conclusion. You could misunderstand the Bible to be saying something similar. Uh, For example, if you look at uh, a couple of verses before our passage in chapter 5, verse 20, we read, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The Apostle's been explaining, you see, that um, it doesn't matter how much sin we've committed, how much sin the human race has committed, the grace of God in Christ is more than sufficient to deal with all that we've done wrong. So you could misunderstand that and think, well, in that case, then we may as well sin a lot. Indeed, when you get to this stage when you're reading through Romans, you'd have the same question buzzing around in your head. Just to remind you, if you've forgotten since we finished our studies before Christmas, the book of Romans is all about the gospel of God. God's message to our world is all about the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this message is the power of God to save anybody who will believe it because it reveals the righteousness of God that we all need. The Apostle has gone on to explain, you see, that all of us are unrighteous. We've uh, rejected the knowledge of God and refashioned God in the human religions and ideologies of the world to be more convenient or to fit in with the culture of our fathers. And, and so we reject God. And uh, the religious and the unreligious, the pagan and the Jew alike, even if we know what God requires, we don't practice it. And so we're unrighteous. We lack the goodness, the righteousness that God requires of us if we're to live with him. But praise God, he's provided that righteousness, says Romans, in Jesus Christ, who lived the life of righteousness even unto death on a cross. So he lived the life we cannot live, and died the death for our sins so that we might have his righteousness counted to us. Indeed, this is reckoned to us just by faith, as it always was, right back to Abraham. This righteousness is ours simply by trusting Christ for it and receiving his righteousness counted to us. We're now at peace with God. And what a joy that is. And to know that the the sin that is in humanity ever since Adam has been overtaken by the righteousness that is in Christ, available to us all. Well, you get to the end of chapter 5 and you think to yourself, well, in that case then, why bother being good? Why bother being righteous if all the righteousness we need has been provided in Christ? It would seem that, um, indeed, the apostle was being asked that question quite a lot. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Was Rasputin right? It's actually worth pondering that uh, uh, when you explain the truth about Jesus Christ accurately, uh, if if somebody hasn't yet been uh, asking you, well, in that case, why do we bother being righteous? Maybe we haven't explained how much of God's grace is available in Christ. But eventually somebody will say to you, but if God's done everything for our salvation in Jesus then why bother being good? I mean, it's a bit like uh, taking exams, isn't it? For those of you who are teachers here, you'll you'll understand that. Uh, For those of you who are students here, you'll understand that. Uh, If you're studying for exams and it's not going very well and you know you're way behind and it's rather frightening and and rather worrying and then somebody says to you, let's say the professor uh, comes to you and uh, says, by the way, we'd like to give you a first-class honours degree, at that point you're likely to say, well, why bother studying then? 
just go out and enjoy myself. Why would I carry on working? Why would I carry on studying if I've been given a first-class honours degree? Or, or um, perhaps if we'd incurred a great debt. Spending too much, we know we have, we can't stop the credit cards, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now there's this massive debt, it's beginning to get frightening, and the rent's gone up. Anybody recognize this scene? I see one or two. And, um, you know, the debt's getting bigger and bigger, and then your dad says, don't worry about it, I'll pay off the whole debt for you and put you in credit. I think, whoopee, fantastic, that's amazing. You might think to yourself at that point, well, why not just carry on spending then? And that's where we get to in the gospel, you see. You think to yourself, well, if God's done everything in Christ for our salvation, and it doesn't depend upon me being righteous because I'll never be righteous enough, it all depends upon Christ. Well, why bother being righteous then? Shall we go on sinning? So we get more of grace. Was Rasputin right? Well, you won't be surprised to find the answer in verse 2. By no means... By no means. And in this passage, the Apostle explains why Christians don't want to sin. It's not that we don't want to sin because otherwise we'll lose our salvation. It's for another reason. And he explains it throughout this passage in this little phrase. We died to sin in Christ. Verse 2, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, by faith in Jesus Christ... We're united with him. And so we share in what happened to him in his death and resurrection. So it's not just that Jesus was our substitute and suffered our punishment without us. It's also that he's our representative and so we share in his death and resurrection. And therefore we died to sin in him. In other words, the death penalty for our sin has already been exhausted upon Christ. It's as if we've already died for our sin in him. And the death penalty is exhausted. Therefore, we no longer live under its power. Sin and death don't rule us anymore. It's not that we're sinless or that we won't die. It's just that we don't belong to sin and death anymore. Let me try and explain. We live in an overlap between two eras. You see, the old era that really began with Adam, in which we're sinful and therefore we die, has been carrying on, and we're still part of that era. We're still living in that age. We still sin and we still die. But that era will end one day when Christ returns and take us to be with him. But in the meantime, things have changed because a new era has begun. It began with Christ. For when Christ rose from the dead, the new era of the new age that goes on forever, the age of resurrection has begun. And we belong to that age as well. And that age will go on forever, past Christ's return into eternity. And so in the meantime, we live in the overlap between these two ages. You see? It's not that one age is finished and now we're in the new. You see, you can make two mistakes here. You can either say, oh, we're still, still exactly the same like we are in the old age, as if nothing has happened. Or you can make the mistake of saying, now we're just in the new age, and now we belong to the resurrection life, and everything's like heaven from now on. And actually, that's not true. 
You see, the old age is still carrying on and still we still, still sin and we still die. But things are not the same. The new age has begun and we're part of the new era. The new era that Jesus began. Now this is terribly important to understand because it affects our expectations of our Christian lives. You see, we can expect too little, oh, nothing's, nothing's going to be different. Or we can expect too much, it'll be like living in heaven. And if we expect too little, you see, it means that we'll just settle for not, not being different. If we expect too much, we'll despair, you see, that we're so dreadful. And you think, has nothing changed? We need to understand that we live in both eras. Or since it's been mentioned already tonight, like being engaged. Uh, engagement is that kind of strange in-between time, isn't it? You, you know, you're already engaged. You're now committed to, to your uh, fiancé. You're awaiting the wedding day. But things have changed now because you belong to your husband or your wife, your, your fiancé. You see, you're no longer open to the offers of others. You're now committed to this person. But the wedding day hasn't yet come. You're looking forward to that day. It's a strange in-between time. And it's like that living as a Christian. We're betrothed or engaged to Jesus Christ. We don't belong to anybody else now. That's what we're now committed to him. He's committed to us. But we're waiting for the wedding day when he returns, that great and wonderful day when he comes back. And all the people of God will be, as it were, married to him and enjoy his goodness forevermore. So we're in that strange in-between time. But it's not, we're not, you see, we're engaged and waiting for his return. Now, the implications of this for the Christian life are massive and they're fantastic. And the apostle explains it in this passage. It's not an easy passage, but I think if we simplify it, you'll find that it's very important for us. Three simple things which I've put there on the passage, uh, on on the uh, outline. Firstly, verses three to five, since we died with him, we have a new life. Since we died with him, we have a new life. Let's look at verse uh, three. Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For, there's a word missing there, in the original it's there, for if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. It's not easy, is it? But to summarize, it simply means this. Since we died with him, we have a new life now. There's a past, a present, and a future. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5 here. So the past, for those of us who are Christians, and I know that not all of us are, but for those of us who are Christians, when we became Christians, we were baptized into Christ's death. That is to say, we, were, we sh- began to share in, we, we now share in his death and resurrection. And that is symbolized in the ceremony of baptism. Uh, in Paul's day for uh, adults, uh, as we do still for adults, but also if you've been baptized as a child, the ceremony symbolizes union or sharing in Christ's death and resurrection. And so the, the symbol of baptism, certainly for uh, adults, you know, about you know, lying down in the water and coming up again, is all about sharing in Jesus' death and resurrection. So when we became a Christian, we began to share in the death and resurrection of Christ. That's in the past. So that the intention of God in doing this, of uniting us with Christ, is verse 4. 
so that in the present we might live a new life in Christ. You see, because Christ has risen from the dead, he sustains us now in this new life that's begun. It's like um, we're plugged into him. We're not yet risen from the dead. That'll happen one day when he returns. But we're already plugged into his life. He's already generating and recharging us. He's put new life within us. Of course, it's through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle doesn't talk about the Spirit yet. He'll talk about that in chapter 8. He wants to make it clear here that it's all through Christ. And so, verse 4, we have a new life. And verse 5, in the future, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So one day, you see, the life that's begun will become complete and will be raised with him to live in heaven. So, so he says, so by faith, we're literally, the word he, there he uses is fused, like a broken bone that's then fused strongly. We're absolutely fused to Christ, you see. We'll be with him in heaven one day. So now we live a new life that is sustained by Christ, looking forward to the resurrection. Now it's terribly important that we understand what this new life is. I'm trying to think of an illustration, I've filled two. And you can take your pick as to which you prefer, depending on your character. You see, um, think of a caterpillar. All right? A caterpillar becomes a chrysalis, becomes the butterfly. Yeah? Biology, all right? And the apostle is saying, look, once you were the caterpillar, but now you're not the caterpillar. You're different now. You're the chrysalis. But you're not yet the butterfly you will be one day. See, one day... We'll be risen, we'll be like Jesus, and we'll be with him in the presence of God forevermore. And it will be beautiful. Okay, But we're not there yet. But that doesn't mean that nothing's happened. We are different now. We are not what we once were. We have been changed by the resurrection life of Christ. We have new life within us. We are different. We're not what we will be, but we are different to what we were. Okay? We're in process, we're in transformation, but we're not like we used to be. And we need to understand that as Christians. We're not exactly the same as we were before we were, uh, were Christians. Or take another example, maybe you prefer this, um, Vinacola. You know who Vinacola is? Gloucester winger, named in the England rugby squad. I told you they're alternatives, it's for different kinds of people in the congregation. Okay? You know, Vinacola, this massive Pacific Islander, I know he wasn't born in Britain, but that's great. We need more of them. They're built for rugby. And he's an absolute monster. And he's apparently he's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, he's been picked now for the England team. So, he is now an England player, but he hasn't yet played at Twickenham. See, he's not the same as he was. He can't play for other countries now. He's playing for us. He is an England player. He's in the England squad. But he hasn't yet played at Twickenham. You see? So he's different now but he's not what he will be. And so the Apostle is saying, we have this new life in us. Don't think that nothing has changed. It is different. But don't despair that it's not yet the life of heaven. It will be, but not yet. So firstly then, since we died with him, we have a new life. Secondly, since we died with him, we have a new freedom. This is verses 6 to 7. New freedom. Look with me again at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed 
from sin. So the apostle is saying that the nature of this new life that we have now is a new freedom. You see, verse 6, our old self was crucified. The old person, that is what we were before we became a Christian. All right, sinful humanity. That old person, which comes from Adam, if you like, that old humanity, has been hammered to the cross with Christ. It's been killed. And so the old me has been crucified. The old you, if you're a Christian, has been nailed to the cross in Christ. That humanity that you used to be has been nailed to the cross there. Verse 7, because the body of sin has been destroyed, or so that the body of sin has been destroyed. Uh, It's not that uh, being physical is evil, but it's just that our sinfulness was expressed in behavior, in the way we think, the way we act. So the body of sin has been destroyed on the cross, killed off in Christ. Verse 7, so no longer be slaves. See, verse 7, we're no longer saved, no longer be slaves to sin. Because we've been freed, literally justified from sin. You see, since we've been declared justified, sin can't condemn us to death anymore. So I think what the Apostle is is, uh, explaining here is that since God has declared us righteous, that is, acceptably good to him, with the righteousness of Christ, that means the sin in us can't condemn us anymore. Because God has declared us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. So the sin in our lives doesn't rule us anymore. And the death that we die is not the end, because we've been justified. We're on our way to heaven. And so sin and death are not the powers in our lives that they once were. So we don't need to cower before them anymore. I was trying to think how to explain this. Um, Before we became a Christian, life is like living in a prison cell, in a jail cell, with two massive great locks on, you know, you think of the grill, the um, iron bars on the front of the cell. And there are two massive great locks, and they're called sin and death. And they hold us captive within. And they're terrifying. Because before you come to Christ, you know that sin condemns you. You're going to face God one day, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're sinful. You're not going to be able to live with him. And death is terrifying. Death is terrifying because beyond the grave, there's God. And if we have to face God unforgiven, then we will be dead forever in hell, living a long way from God and a dreadful place to be. And so you see, it's these desperate powers of sin and death that condemn you and terrify you, those powers, you see, rule over our lives. And so people try not to think about it, and they party like there's no tomorrow and rush around like mad to try and avoid thinking about death. You go to gym as much as you like, in the end it'll get you. So you live in that jail. But what's happened is that Christ, by his death, has unlocked both those locks, death, sin and death, and opened the door wide. And so now, although we still live in the same place, the door is wide open. They don't hold us captive. And we shall one day simply walk out and go and be in heaven. Well, life in the jail with the door wide open is totally different to life in the jail with the door closed. Because you know you're free. You can sit back and laugh at the door. 
because it doesn't hold any power over you anymore. You see, we don't need to be terrified of the sin. I mean, I don't know whether you're like me. Every time I commit a sin again, I kind of think to myself, oh no, maybe I'm not a Christian. Or I think to myself, oh no, maybe, this, maybe God's going to give up on me. Maybe sin's going to get me in the end. I'm so sinful, maybe I'm lost. But I don't have to cower before sin like that anymore. It doesn't rule me. This sin's still in my life, but its power over me is finished. You see, so I don't have to be terrified of the sin that's in my life. Because its power over me was broken when its penalty was taken on the cross. So it has no hold on me anymore. Yeah, there's sin in your life too. But it doesn't condemn you. Or death. I don't have to cower before death anymore. Obviously it's a miserable business. And as we've prayed for Andy and for others who grieve those they, that they've loved, they love. Of course it's painful. But you see, death is not the end. You see, when we put our faith in Christ, death doesn't hold us terrified anymore. It's still scary, but death is not the road to the wrong place. The death is the place, the, the road, the, uh, the doorway into the presence of God. And so it's not frightening like it used to be. It's not terrifying because it's simply the passage into the presence of God. And so since we died with him, we have a new freedom. We're not captive anymore to death and sin. Sin and death do not hold us imprisoned with fear because of Christ. The door is wide open and one day we'll walk out and live in the new creation. Thirdly and lastly, since we died with him, we have a new future. Verses 8 to 10. Read with me from verse 8, will you? Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Since we died with him, we also have a new future to look forward to. You see, we will also live with him in the new creation. So heaven is now our home and not this world of sin and death. We don't belong here anymore. The life we used to live in this world was killed off at the cross. The life we now have is the risen life of Jesus. And so we wait to go and live with him. For verse 9, death no longer has mastery over Christ. See, having died for all our sin, Christ cannot be made to die again. You see, because he, he didn't sin himself, and because he bore all our sin on himself and has been punished for all that sin, and because he suffered the death that is due to that sin, but rose again, well, death is broken. Death has no more power upon him, because he's already died the death for sin. So there is no other death he can be made to die. He's broken its power. It has no power over him. It is a spent force. And therefore, verse 10, he now lives to God. Of course, he is God, but he relates to the Father in his human life as we should relate to God, as to his God. And so he lives for God now, as we should live for God as ourselves. And since we're united with him, we shall be resurrected to live with him forever. And so I suppose it's, uh, the apostles say it's a bit like moving home. Um, you know, if you, if you buy a house or if you buy a flat or whatever, there are two stages, aren't there? First of all, you exchange contracts, okay? And then there's completion day when you move in. 
And the apostles say, look, look, what's happened is contracts have been exchanged. You see, when, you, when, you, when contracts are exchanged, it's all very, very scary, and you wonder whether it's going to happen. It could all fall through at any moment. But once contracts are exchanged, the whole thing's settled. And now you're due to move into your new house. Now, once contracts are exchanged, you don't start living for the flat or the house you used to live in. You start living for the house where you're going to move in. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it, if you're uh, going to move to a you know, wonderful new flat out in Fulham somewhere. You know, and it's, and it's a fantastic place. You're going to move from your hovel you know, somewhere in Vauxhall, and you're going to go out to, to Fulham. And you kind of think, here is this wonderful great new mansion. It's going to be fantastic. Do you start you know, redecorating the kitchen in the old flat? Of course you don't. You don't wander around Ikea trying to buy stuff for the old flat. You're moving out soon. You keep thinking about the stuff for the new house, don't you? You think, oh, now that would look nice on the wall. This would look nice on the floor. You start collecting the things that will matter in the new flat, not the old one. You're not going to be in it much longer. Completion day will come soon, and then you're going to move into your new home. And the apostle is saying that contracts were exchanged in the death of Christ. The deal is done. So we don't live for this life anymore, life in this world. We're not investing in life in this world. We're investing in the life to come, in the resurrection life. Because we have died with Christ, we now have life with Christ, and death has no mastery over him, so we'll be with him forever in the new place, the new creation. And so the apostle comes to his conclusions in verses 11 to 13. Since we died with him and now we have new life in his life, a new freedom because sin and death are broken. We have a new future living with him. Therefore, verse 11, in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. He says here, look, count yourselves dead to sin. He's talking here about how we think of ourselves once we become a Christian. He's talking about our new identity as Christians. It's interesting, isn't it, that that it's so important how we think about ourselves. I think the reason is because a lot of the power of sin and death is bluff. See, once you become a Christian, sin and death are always trying to posture and pretend that somehow we still belong to them. And we don't. We have to recognize what is now true for us, that we are now dead to sin and alive to God. It's as if um, uh, we've become citizens of the kingdom of God now. You know, for for all the Australians who come to this country, desperate to come and live with us here in London because it's so wonderful. And, of course, they're longing to be residents here and to acquire a British passport and all the other wonderful things they'd love to have after that miserable place in Australia they've come from. And, you know, they want to come and live here. And then one day, the great day comes when they acquire a passport and they're now residents, citizens in the United Kingdom. What a day that must be. (laughs) Many of us here are kind of longing for that day. Well, don't worry if that never happens for you. Don't grieve. I'll tell you, there's an even better place than living in London. There's the kingdom of God. And we can acquire citizenship in the kingdom of God through Christ. 
You see, now we need to understand we're citizens of that kingdom. We belong to that kingdom and not the kingdom of darkness of this world. And so the apostle says, do not therefore let sin reign. Don't let sin rule your life. And here we begin to see the practical implications more clearly. We don't have to obey our sinful instincts anymore because sin is not in charge of our lives. I'm not just talking about psychologically. I mean spiritually, it's not in charge. Christ is. So we can refuse to give in to sin. We can protest and reject the claims of sin in our lives. For example... When that sinful impulse begins to rise in our hearts, let's say it's anger. You know, there's your, your, um, your, your spouse, your uh, mother or father, your in-laws, uh, somebody at work, somebody here at church, you know, and you feel yourself rising. You feel the irritation is, is going to drive you up the wall. And in the past, it may be, you'd always thought that you've got to give in to that. You've got to vent your anger. And you feel the irritation, and the assumption in our hearts is, I have to be angry. This is the way I am. I'm a sinner. I have to be angry with people. No, you don't. Not anymore. You can say to yourself, I don't have to indulge this anger, because I'm not mastered by this sin anymore. It doesn't rule my life. I can be different. We don't have to give in to the claims of sin or death. As we think about death, and it frightens us, and uh, we think to ourselves, you know, I'll do everything I can. We rush around to the gym madly, and we'd certainly never do anything risky that might, uh, you know, threaten our lives, because our whole of life has been about preserving ourselves and looking after ourselves, and, and suddenly you think to yourself, I don't need to be frightened of death anymore, because on the other side I'll be with Jesus. So actually death doesn't run my life either. I could go and do something dangerous for Jesus Christ because death is just the doorway to his presence. It's not about hanging on to my life desperately and hoping death never comes. I can face death in the the face and stick out my tongue in it and say, you don't rule my life anymore because I've got eternity beyond. Changes your whole perspective on what you're trying to do in life. You're living for eternity and not just to try and stay young. Don't let sin reign in your life. Also says the apostle, don't offer the parts of your body to sin. He speaks here as being, not as weapons of wickedness, instruments is literally weapons of wickedness, but as weapons of righteousness. In other words, you see, we've changed sides. We don't fight for the old humanity, for sin and for death anymore. We belong to Christ now. And so we offer the parts of our bodies to his service instead of to sin and death. So, for example, with our lips. Instead of just kind of naturally kind of joining in the gossip at work that loves to kind of put people down and, you know, the one-upmanship that goes on, the, the kind of manoeuvring that goes on, the political manoeuvring that kind of trying to get, tries to get ahead. You know, all that kind of subtle stuff that goes on at work. We don't have to speak like that anymore. We could actually use our mouths instead for sweetening gospel things instead. We don't have to. We're not run by sin anymore. Or with our eyes. Instead of with our eyes, kind of casting our eyes around in that acquisitive fashion, whether it's shopping or 
porn or whatever it is. That kind of attitude that says, that's looking around for acquisition, greed, get. Instead of that, we can actually look for opportunities to give and to serve. We don't have to give in to the acquisitive nature that rises within us because sin doesn't rule us anymore. We have new life in God's family. We have new freedom from sin. We have a new future to look to. Says the apostle in the last verse, for sin shall not be your master. You're under grace now. Sin does not rule your life once you become a Christian. It did once, but no longer. Struck with it, uh, as you know, one of the commissioned churches has uh, just bought and refurbished a factory. It used to be a print factory. Now it's going to be a church building. It's not yet finished. But it's not what it once was. It'd be crazy. You can't go there anymore. It'd be crazy to try and run a print business there now. All the, all the old stuff's been cleared out. There's lots of new stuff in there. It's not yet finished. But it's being refurbished. It's not yet what it will be. It's in process. And the apostle is saying that's what it is now. We're not what we once were. We're not, we're not the servants of sin and death. We're not what we will be when we're raised to life and righteousness. But we are being refurbished. We are in the process of change. And now we're not under sin. Sin does not master us. We don't have to do what it says in us. We're under grace. We live for God and for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's no point living for the old way. Live for him from now on. Shall we go on sinning? No. It's not that we stop sinning because we might lose our salvation. No, that's all provided in Christ. We stop sinning because we're different now. You see, we have a new life, a new freedom, and a new future. It's totally inappropriate to carry on sinning because we've died with sin, we've died with Christ, and we shall one day be raised to live with him. Well, before we take some questions, let's just bow our heads and pray together. A moment of quiet to speak with the Lord about the way we live and the rule of sin. Father in heaven, how we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that if we put our trust and faith in him for our salvation, then we have died and risen with him. How we thank you that we have a new life in him. We are different now. Things have changed. Thank you that we have a new freedom, that sin and death don't rule us anymore. Their power is exhausted upon Christ. Thank you that we have a new future to look forward to. We're on our way to being in heaven with God. And so we cry to you, Heavenly Father, would you help us to be different, to live in a way that is appropriate to having shared in the death and resurrection of Christ. Help us to stand up to sin in our lives, to count ourselves dead to it, free from its power, and alive to God from now on. 
Father, please would you help us to stop treating sin as if it's our master, as if we must do what it says, and instead to live for you and to offer our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Help us to stop sinning, not because we're afraid of salvation, but because of our new life in Christ. And we ask it for his glory alone. Amen. Well, as we often do, uh, if there are any uh, questions or comments that you'd like to make, or indeed any uh, prophetic insight into how this passage applies to our lives, um, your comments would be very welcome. Does anybody want to ask a question uh, or uh, say anything um, about what I've been saying? I'll just uh, warble from it just to give you a chance to formulate what you'd like to say. Anybody would like to ask a question or say anything? Thank you. If you didn't hear the question, um, the question was... Um, isn't it also true that we want to stop sinning so that we don't hurt God and uh, so we don't hurt other people? Um, and how does that fit in with just not sinning because it's not appropriate? Have I put that correctly? I have to say your comment is absolutely true. And it's, an, it's another reason in the Bible for not sinning. So in Ephesians, when we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the reasons for not sinning is that we grieve God's Spirit uh, when we sin. Uh, so you're absolutely right. That is another reason not to sin, not to hurt people, not to hurt God. Uh, in this passage, the emphasis is upon the fact that we don't have to sin and that righteousness uh, is not something we leave to Christ. It's something we must live uh, as well. So uh, your comments are absolutely right. And uh, that's another sermon. But thank you for, for adding that. That's absolutely right. You're right.